welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and continue with part three of our series, Reset, as we, as we kind of wrap up uh, what we've been walking through. So in week one, we said, we said, Jesus, reset my heart, reset my heart. And we talked about how it's easy for our hearts to become complacent. It's easy for our hearts to give Jesus kind of a, a maybe or a half-hearted yes, right? And Jesus is saying, the Lord said, no, I want a full yes. We talked about the nation of Israel and how they thought they could bring the Ark of the Covenant out just on a whim and like, this is our magic box. This is our, our genie in a bottle and that we can just show up and forget how we've been living or what we've been doing or the commitment we've made to Jesus or lack of commitment made to the Lord. And we can just go, okay, in this moment right now, I need you, Go. And, and the Lord said, no, that's not how, I, this is not how we operate. That's not how this works, right? And, and he says, we need to reset our heart. And we talked about how David, after his, after his, his, his fall and his, his failure with Bathsheba, then he writes in, in Psalm 51, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And letting our hearts be returned to the joy of salvation that the Lord has given us and not forgetting or losing sight of the work that God has done for us. And so we said, Jesus, reset my heart. Reset my heart. And then last week we talked about resetting our minds and we came out of, out of Romans chapter 12 and it said, let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we had to go through first chapter, chapters one through 11 to get to that moment. And we talked through the work that Jesus did for us and the significance that he did for us and the, the role that his salvation plays in our life and, and building up to this, this moment where he says, therefore do not conform any longer to the past patterns of this world. He said, give all of this up. Therefore, live as a, uh, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, right? And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we talked about how that word transform speaks to the fact that it's not us doing the work, but it's allowing the Holy Spirit, it's allowing the Lord to renew our minds. It's like that, that cleansing of our minds, letting it be reshaped and refocused back on what the Lord is doing and what God wants to do in us. And so our minds are transformed, our minds are renewed. It's new and better, right? That's, that's, that's that, that renewing word was made new and better. And so we talked about letting our minds be reset. And so that leads us to where we are today. See, these have been building on each other. So in the first week, reset our hearts, which then makes way for our minds to be reset because our hearts have been shifted back into love with the Lord at a new level. So now our minds can then be refocused on where they need to be in relationship with the Lord. So then today, the next step in the progression that we're walking through is Jesus reset my hands, my hands. Let the work that I do, what, let what, what people see me do, Lord, let it be a reflection of the heart and the mind that you have given me. See, it's easy for us to, to do things because others see us do those things, right? It's easy to do good because we know we're going to receive the praise 
or the acclamation and that people are going to come and pat us on the back, right? It's easy for that to be the driving force and the motivation behind us. So we go, I'm going to do good because I know when I do, I'm going to get a tax break. I'm going to do good because I know when I do that, that I might get my name written on a plaque somewhere. I know I'm going to do good because maybe, just maybe, somebody will put my name on a building at the end of my life, which please don't do that. With, I don't want my name on a building. That's really kind of, yeah. My dad had, a, had his name just put on a building recently, and he's like, thank you. Usually this happens to dead people. And it was really kind of a funny thing. He's like, I don't know how to take this. Do you want me dead? Or, okay, anyways. So we're talking about resetting our hands so that our hands, the motivation behind what we do is for the glory of the Lord and not for the glory of self. Not for me to be lifted up, not for me to be seen, but so that the motivation behind what I do, the things that I do, are so that people can find Jesus, so that the kingdom of God is expanded, and at the end of the day, that that is what drives me and motivates me. So today, let's look in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 17 through 26. This is a very, very, very common story. This is a very popular story from the Word of God. And if you were in Sunday school as a child or in kids' church, you have heard this story since you were a teeny tiny little person, right? This is, this is a very common story. We've heard it all. But I want to walk through it a little bit today and kind of gain a deeper understanding of what's happening. It says this, one day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you asking, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and praised and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Father, we love you. God, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that that you inspired men and women to write and and to do things so that that the events could be recorded in your holy word so that we could draw, draw from it, so we could gain from it. So we pray that your spirit, God, empowers my words today as we speak your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's start as as we walk through this idea of resetting our hands. Let's start with verse 17 and kind of walk through this a little bit verse by verse as we gain a fuller knowledge and understanding as to to what it means to ask Jesus to reset our hands. And it says this, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village 
of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. There's a few things to look at here as we walk through this. First and foremost is this is the first time in, in Luke where we see the Pharisees. Up to this moment, anything we've read about Jesus, any miracles he's done, any services that have been held or him speaking have all been received with great joy and excitement, right? Up until this moment, everything has been, has been wonderful and everybody just loves Jesus. This is the first moment of opposition that we find written in, in, in the book of Luke. This is the first moment of opposition where we see somebody coming against Jesus and what he's trying to do. And it's because the Pharisees show up. So who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees would have been religious leaders who, uh, there, there was kind of two groups. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And, and so you have the Pharisees and Sadducees. They had differing opinions. So there was difference of ideas and essentially theology and, and understanding of, of how the, 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 the word of God should be used. And so some of the different would be one, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay, so that's one thing that's different. The other thing is the Pharisees believed in oral teaching and oral tradition, whereas the Sadducees only believed in what was written. So you have what would be considered in the Pharisee side of things, a more liberal theology or understanding of God and ideology and the, the Sadducees being more, more conservative in that. But with the Pharisees, while they were more liberal in their teachings, they were far more hypocritical in their living and in the way they lived. So they were very judgmental, very critical, and very hypocritical in how they lived and acted. And so you have the Pharisees on the scene and the teachers of the law, right? Which would kind of go hand in hand with the Pharisees. And so they're like, we're going to come. And, and maybe they were Pharisees or not yet Pharisees. They were kind of the up and coming. And so these are the people that are going to come in and be like, we are here to observe exactly what you're doing, Jesus, because we want to find exactly what you're doing wrong, so it wasn't a matter of, we want to see, see, is this man for real? Could he possibly be the Messiah? But it was, let me watch you and observe you so that we can show you and tell everybody how wrong you are, right? So here's, a, here's that first bit. So we see these people coming in, in the Pharisees. So when we say that they are coming from all over the village, it's not just Pharisees and teachers of the law. This is tons and tons of people. Yes, there are Pharisees and teachers of the law included, and you probably would find them from that region and that area because you had Pharisees in different areas and regions and stuff like that. They were kind of assigned to those places. And so you have this group, and then all of these people, this place is full, right? The, the house they're in is packed, and it is just, people are probably spilling out of the doorways, probably hanging over the windows. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I can make speculations and assumptions. They were swinging from the rafters, right? There's no scriptural basis for that, that just FYI. Um, if you try to find that later, I apologize. You won't, right? He said they were swinging from the rafters. I don't know that. Right? So you have, you have these, these Pharisees that are here and this place is packed. And so then it goes on to say this. This is, this is very, very significant. And it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, we could have a discussion on whether Jesus did his miracles in his humanity under the power of the Holy Spirit or if he did his miracles out of the divinity of who he was in Jesus, right? There's, we could have those conversations. That's a great theological conversation we could have at some point in time. But the point of the matter in this moment is, is that the power of the Lord was heavy and there, right? And the point of the matter is, is that there are times and specific moments in our lives when God is working, 
There are moments in our lives, there are moments in specific times when the Spirit of God is doing things at a greater level or differently than he has done previously, right? So basically this tells us that Jesus didn't spend all his time just walking and healing people, right? In this moment, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Jesus did other things, right? We know that he taught. We have the whole Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't like as he's speaking, he's just walking around touching people and they're all just being healed. Now, that very well could be taking place. It could be happening. We don't have the scripture for that. We do have the fact that Luke says we couldn't write it all down, everything that he did or, and, and understand it. So, but we do know that this moment, this specific time, that the Lord is there in a way, in a real way to heal the sick. So we see God is there and working. And here's what we need to recognize, that if we miss times in our lives or we don't respond or we don't pursue in times of our lives when when God is moving, we may miss great moments in our lives. We may miss great moments when the Spirit is at work. We may miss moments when when God is, is trying to do something greater. It makes me think of, of, of the pool of Bethesda, when the angel of the Lord would stir the water, if you weren't near enough to it, if you couldn't get in the water, you didn't receive the healing, right? It's, it's, it's about being close to the Lord at all times, about our spirits being in tune with what God is saying and what he's doing, that when he begins to stir and work, whenever the Lord begins to move and do, that we are there ready to dive into what God is doing. So there's moments in our lives when the spirit is at work. There's moments in our lives when God wants to do greater things. We need to be ready when the Spirit is stirring. So verse 18, it says this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. There's a few things that come to mind when I read that and a few thoughts that I have. First and foremost, I think it's very, very sad when spectators keep true pursuers of Jesus from being able to encounter him. When people like the Pharisees who are there to criticize or to judge, when you read this, they go, man, uh, how many people did they block from relationship with Jesus? How many people did they keep because they weren't allowing it? That's one thought. But I think the big thought that I have here is, is what if the men carrying their friend on the mat, what if they were worried about one embarrassing their friend? What if they were going, well, people... He doesn't like people see how he is, and he doesn't want to be made a spectacle. He doesn't want people to just be staring at him. He doesn't like to be the center of attention. What if they're like, you know what? We better not. Or what if they said, you know, what if, what if Jesus rebukes him? What if we get all the way up there, and he's like, how dare you interrupt me in this moment? Or what if the crowd begins to, to come against us and say, why do you think you're so special? Why do you get to press through? Why do you get to come in front of Jesus? Why do they get to come before I do, right? What if they begin to have these thoughts and this commotion in their minds where they're going, this, this shouldn't be happening because what if people start to look at us? What if there's an embarrassment? What if, what if we shame him? What if, he is, what if he just feels just totally, uh, you know, anxious and nervous? We better not, we better not, we better not. What if they had the mindset to say, you know what? Jesus may not even heal him, so why, why even try? 
Jesus may say, nope, it's not your time to be healed. I'm so sorry. Uh, You're going to have to carry him back out of here. What if they started having these conversations? What if they started having these thoughts and said, you know what? You're right. We better not. We better not. But they didn't do that. I love the fact that, that they, they tried to get into the house, that they tried and they tried. And so this, to, when I see this, it makes me think, okay, they tried the front door, they tried the back door, they tried through windows, they tried to press through, they tried to say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And after about 43 people deep, they thought, this is going to take forever and he's going to be done by the time we get there, right? So they start coming up these, going, we have no way in. And you know what happens a lot of times in our own lives is that when we get to this moment of there's no way in, there's no way to press in, we typically go, well, then maybe it's not the will of the Lord. Maybe this isn't the will of God right now. It's, it's too difficult. It's too difficult. They're never going to get to Jesus. I'm sorry, but I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God says, and give up trying to bring people to Jesus when it is difficult. I've not found that yet. And here's the thing, we're all guilty. I'm guilty of it, right? Where we go, man, it was really, really hard. This is, uh, I don't know that I have the time. It's really, really difficult. I don't know that I, I have the, the, the patience right now to keep pursuing this or to keep doing this. But I think if we, we come back to the reset heart and the reset mind where we say, Jesus, what you have done for me is far greater than anything that I could ever pursue or do apart from trying to have and allow other people to experience the same joy of salvation that I have now. So they said, you know what? I have an idea. Let's go to the roof. If it's my house, I'm a little frustrated at the end of the day, but I get over it because of what Jesus does. I've often wondered this, like, did they have an exact, did they know? Because, I mean, it's a big crowd, right? So Jesus is somewhere in the home, and they know that much, uh, and, and they know that it's very, very crowded. My question or my thought is, did they know, like, where he was, or did they have to, like, peek through a few times and, like, find, so then I was just, like, a lot of holes, because I've had this thought, like, is this a lucky guess, or they're like, oh, no, I think if you go, like, somebody, like, Looking from, I, so I truly have these thoughts when I read these things. It's, just, it's weird, I know. But I'm like, somebody outside trying to line them up, and then another person from this angle, and they're like, okay, you're in line here, you're in line here, okay, dig, right? Like, rip tiles off. You, you, I don't know, but the, nonetheless, it says that they open the ceiling up, open the roof up, and the tiles, they peel these tiles back. So, we, we, you know, you, you get the idea, right? It's these, ceiling, these roof tile ceiling tiles. They didn't have ceiling tiles. And they start pulling the stuff back and they create this hole. And then they get ropes and they tie it to this mat and they start to lower this guy down. Could you imagine if they were worried about shame, if they were worried about embarrassment, that would be like the end all be all of embarrassment. Like, hey, everybody look at me. I'm a paralyzed guy lying on a mat while my friends lower me through somebody's hole in the roof that we just created. I'm the most hated person in the room right now, right? It's, you, you, they go, if that was the thought, then we never have the moment of them saying, we know that we need to get our friend to Jesus and that there will be nothing that gets in the way. There will be nothing that stops us because we understand. Here's, where, here's the difference. They didn't understand the power of Jesus to forgive sins. They simply only understood the power that he had to heal. And even with that, they said, we need to get him to Jesus, Even with that understanding, they said, we need to get him to Jesus. 
with a limited scope of knowing who Jesus was. They didn't know he was the Messiah. They may have speculated, they may have assumed or thought, but there was no concrete evidence at that moment that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And yet, they said, no matter what, we're getting our friend to the feet of Jesus. That's a powerful thought. That's a powerful thought to go, this man needs Jesus. This man needs to find Jesus. This man needs to be at the feet of Jesus. And we're not going to let a roof stand between us. You know, maybe they thought, we can fix it later. Or maybe they thought, I've got some money, I can pay a guy. I don't, you know, they just said, who cares what, what, what it is that we're up against? We're going to get our friend to Jesus. I love that they lower him in front of everybody with his crippled nature and his paralysis, his paralysis and his paralyzed state and they just begin to lower him right in front of Jesus. And there he is lying on his mat with all of his brokenness for everyone to see. Nothing makes you stand out more than all of a sudden the light breaking through from above and now it's shining straight on you as you sit at the feet of Jesus and the brokenness that is your life is there for all to see. I love what Jesus says then. In verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's the Greek word there, and forgiven is aphiomi, which means to send off, to leave. He says, your, your sins have been cast off of you. Your sins have left you. All of your guilt, all of your shame, the sin that you have carried, he said, because of your faith, by your faith, your sins have been forgiven. And here's the craziest part, and I mentioned this a moment ago, is that they didn't know that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. They didn't know he had the authority to speak forgiveness, right? They didn't know he was the Messiah. They didn't know the, 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 the nature of who he was. They didn't realize that he was divinity in front of that. He was divine. They didn't know that, that he had come to rid the world of all of their sins. He didn't know that, that he came to give salvation and to give life. These are things that we have the advantage of knowing on the back end, right? They didn't know this. They just knew that there was a man named Jesus that their friend needed, and they said, we're going to do whatever we can. And by their faith, Jesus then speaks, your sins have been forgiven. There's something powerful about faith. Something powerful about faith. We see by our faith, we are saved. I, I love what, what, what Paul says and he writes in Romans and he talks about Abraham. And it was, he, he says that it was his faith made him righteous, right? It was credited to him as righteousness. It's a pretty remarkable thought that, that see, we are imperfect people, right? We are sinners. And, and Paul writes, we talked a lot about Romans last week and forgive me for jumping back to it, but it's just, it's, uh, it, it, it proves the point, right? 
And he says that, that, that all of us are sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and, and in that, that means that there is separation of us and God. And we've talked about this over and over. And I just want to make sure that if anybody doesn't understand the way the gospel works and the way Jesus works, I want you to know how it works. This is, it's too good. Right? So we are all sinners. And the only way to enter into the presence of the Lord is by being righteous. See, the unrighteousness doesn't have a place in the presence of God. Only righteousness has a place in the presence of God. It's something we cannot obtain on our own. We can't do it. We can live the best life we could ever live. We could be as, as blameless as we think we could possibly be, but the reality is we were born with this sin thing in us. And so it had to be atoned for. So Jesus came to take away that penalty. And so, so through our faith, we then take on the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness. That's a remarkable thought. And so Jesus, when he says in that moment, he says, your sins are forgiven. He says, all of that is now cast off. Everything that you've had, every sin, every, everything you've done wrong is cast off. It's removed. It is gone. I wonder if, if, if Luke's intentions were to use the paralyzed state of the man as a representation of the sinful spirit almost to show that this is what sin does to the spiritual body. It renders you paralyzed. It renders you ineffective. It renders you incapable uh, of combating and fighting against the enemy and the spirits of darkness in this world. And so he's, Jesus makes a point to say, before he heals him, he says, see this, this is brokenness. This, this is a representation of the sinful spirit of the sinful body. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And that only happens when friends make the determination that there is nothing going to stand between my friend and Jesus. My friend and Jesus. So here's where we find the opposition. The Pharisees begin to, to have these thoughts and they come against. And it's, it reminds me also of Luke chapter seven, a couple chapters later. He says this in verse 36. He says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, understand why he invited him. Again, it was to find out what was wrong and what he was doing wrong so that he could be exposed, right? He, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus said, if you're gonna invite me, I'm gonna come, right? And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who, he, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Again, this opposition that Jesus begins to face from this moment, from chapter five forward. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, 
I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Sometimes I wonder if if we don't tear through roofs because we've forgotten how great of a price was forgiven. If we've forgotten how big the debt was that, that we carried. And Jesus in this moment with this Pharisee in this exchange in his home, he's, he's showing him, listen, don't, don't turn this woman away. Don't cast her off. She knows how great her debt is. It's a significant moment in parallel as we see that the man who was on the mat comes and he's laid before the Lord and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the people in the room probably begin to stir and question like, I don't think that's what he was there for, right? I don't think that's what he was after. I don't think that's why he came. They just ripped a hole in the roof and dropped him. I'm pretty sure he wants something tangible, something physical that we can see. I think he wants to be able to walk. I don't know, right? probably some of the thoughts, but then we see the Pharisees in that moment saying, who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? And Jesus asks the question and he says this, knowing what they're thinking, he says, why are you thinking these things in your heart, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The fact of the matter is it's obviously easier for somebody to go around and say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because we have no no gauge of knowing, okay, well, did that did that just work? Did, was, did he have the authority to forgive sins? We don't know. We can't see what happens in the soul and in the spirit when somebody makes those statements and claims. I think truly because of that fact, that is why we have cults and cult leaders that we have had, had in, in, in this world, right? Because they can claim to be the Messiah. So I think about David Koresh. And, and, and that was, he basically started telling people he was the Messiah and people want to hear things that are going to save their souls, right? They want to know like, okay, this affects my eternity. If I follow you, I have eternity. This is good, you know? And so that's why we have these, these issues with, with, with religions and things like that today because anyone can state and make the claim your sins are forgiven. It's easy to do. Uh, and then you end up in a compound down in Waco and shooting people, right? It's not good, Right? If you don't have the authority, you shouldn't do it because you can't. And so, so Jesus is making this claim and he states this and the Pharisees start saying, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think you are? You can't do that, right? And Jesus says this. He says, I want you to know that I have the authority to do so. So by, 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 by forgiving the sin. So he's basically, this is his moment of stating like, I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. I have the authority given to me to do what I just did. And I'm gonna show you by telling this man to immediately get up, take his mat and go home. And when he speaks, it says, all of a sudden, the words that I have spoken have been validated by the spirit of God that is in me, by being the son of man. So here's what I've found in, in my thoughts in this. Is that oftentimes, we hope to see Jesus perform the miracle for our friends as, as a means to bringing them to salvation. And we undermine the fact that the greatest miracle that we could ever experience in the life of any human person is the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of Jesus Christ. 
See, miracles are not supposed to be a means to see people come to know Jesus, but it is through, through being willing to get our hands dirty, to rip through roofs and do everything we can to get people to the feet of Jesus, that they can find salvation. And, and through the, Does God heal people that aren't saved? Hear me. Yes, yes. Those things have happened. I, I'm, not, I'm not discrediting or downplaying that. Has he used those things to see people come to know him? Yes, absolutely. But what we see in this moment is that the, the willingness to fight to get our friends to Jesus, the willingness to get the people we love to the feet of Jesus, the willingness to say there is nothing that can stand between me and my friend finding Jesus. That's what we see in this moment. And what happens in the end, everybody walks away saying, we have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. And I think that statement is significant because it's not about the healing. Jesus had healed people. They had seen healings. It says that it says the spirit of the Lord is with him to heal the sick. They were already watching and seeing miracles take place. They walked away saying they saw remarkable things because they saw the power of God come through and forgive the sins of a man who was broken. Salvation is the greatest miracle any person can ever experience. And we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of that. So let's make this practical for a minute. I'll invite the worship team to join me. We started by saying, Jesus, reset our hearts and reset our minds. And then today, Jesus, reset our hands. This is going to look different for every person, and that's the reality of it, because we have friends and family in different positions, and we have different things going on in our world. This is the, the nature and the reality of it. This will look different for everyone. But maybe for you, you're at a place where you go, you know what, I have friends that I know need to get to Jesus and I have to make the determination in my heart and my life that I'm willing to tear through walls and roofs to get them there. And maybe that's where you are, where you go, you know what, I have to be willing to keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting and, and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep sharing and keep loving and keep loving so that eventually that we tear through that roof and we're able to lower them to the feet of Jesus, right? And say, here you are, here's Jesus. All of the healing you need in your heart and your life, it all begins with the moment of your sins are forgiven. It starts with the forgiveness of sins. And that may be where you are, where you go, you know what? Yeah, I've dropped the ball. I've got friends that need Jesus and I haven't done my part. I haven't done what I can do. So how do we do? The simplest thing we can do is it starts by saying, you know what? I can bring them to church with me. An invitation goes a million miles with people. It's a credible thing that when you just say, hey, would you come to church with me one day? Would you come to church with me one day? And just say, you know what? I'm going to be a bringer. I'm going to start being a bringer. I'm going to invite and bring. I'm going to invite and bring. I'm going to invite and bring. Because my friends need Jesus. My friends need Jesus. If, you, if we love our friends, right, then we share Jesus with them. That's not to be a guilt trip. That's not to be a, a, a you know, a, a gut punch or anything like that. That's simply to say, because of what we have in salvation with Jesus, if we love our friends, 
and we will share with them the love of Jesus. We'll share the love of Jesus. And it can be as simple as an invitation. It can be as simple as an invitation. My heart is this, to, to always find the gospel in any scripture, in any passage, because the Bible itself is one huge love story about the love of Jesus and the grace that he gives. So my heart is to always share the gospel whenever we preach, whatever we speak on. We can be talking about, I don't know, I don't care what it is, we, we can find Jesus in it. If we can't, then we have a problem. So become a bringer. Become a bringer. So you know what, I'm going to bring people. I don't care if you're picking them up off the side of the street. Don't bother me. Get them here. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you're, you're walking somewhere. Come with me. I don't care. Bring them. The next thing is, the other thing is, this is simple, very simple. I believe wholeheartedly in what we do in our church. I believe wholeheartedly in what we do at Grace Hill and what we call our dream team. And that's our volunteer aspect of the ministry that we do here. I believe wholeheartedly in the dream team. And what I mean by that is that everything we do here plays a vital role in the kingdom of God everything. And you may think, well, I, what I do is, is insignificant. No, it's not because you don't know the impact that it has in, in any person's life. You don't know, you don't know the magnitude of, of, of the, the depth of what may be taking place in their heart because of the simple thing that you think you're doing. You may go, well, I just greet people. Yeah, you don't know what baggage they just brought in from, from the car with them. You don't know what baggage they just brought from home. You don't know what arguments were taking place in the car. And now you get to be there to smile and say, good morning. We are so glad you're here. And, and you say it with, with conviction and you mean it. And all of a sudden things can go, oh, somebody does want me here today. You can begin to tear down walls so that the power of God has the freedom to move in their heart and their lives. You may think, I just make coffee. Yeah, we can get into a whole theological discussion about that right there, amen. But it's the part of, of saying, you know, we love people enough that we're going to take time out of our morning to make sure that we have coffee. We're going to take time out of our mornings to make sure we have breakfast tacos. We're going to take time out of our mornings to show that we love people because Christ loves us. And maybe you go, you know what, I, I serve in, in dreamers. I'm in the nursery with the babies. I'm with dreamers. And, and, and all I do is I hold babies. Oh, no, 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 you don't. No, you don't. You hold the next generation of the church. You get to speak over. You get to pray over those babies. You get to love on them. And you get to tell them that they are, are, are men and women of God. And that what they do for the kingdom matters. And who they are matters. And you get to just begin to be part of the foundation of their faith. Can I tell you, that is an incredible thing to be a part of. To say wow, maybe I just sit here, maybe I just, maybe I hold babies, maybe, I, no, 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 it's so much, and I could do this with every area of ministry in our church, and every part of our dream team, can I tell you, it is significant in being the hands and feet of Jesus, it's significant being the hands and the feet of Jesus. God equips each of us differently, right? We're uniquely gifted because we're uniquely created. And he says, I have different purposes for each of you within the role and within the kingdom. And maybe maybe some of you are, are, are naturally, God's gifted you as evangelists and you're gonna go out and you're gonna start bringing like 100 people with you every week. And we're gonna go, oh, it's getting a little tight in here. And we're gonna go, awesome. That's the greatest problem you could ever have, right? 
And maybe God's equipped you to be a prayer warrior. And your, your, your role in the kingdom is to just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. You see, but whatever it is, we say, Father, reset my hands so that what you've equipped me with and the people you've surrounded me with, that I can reach them with the giftings you've given me. on the mindset of the friends who said no matter what we'll rip holes in the roof if we have to and we'll lower people to the feet of Jesus whatever we have to do to get them to Jesus Father God we thank you for this morning Lord the fact that we were able to celebrate and we stand in a room that has confetti on the floor Lord we thank you for that we thank you for the fact that, that you clearly were a part of this, that you were clearly a part of, 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 of us stepping out of faith and that you led this and that in the end, you brought the provision. In the end, you did great things. In the end, we get to stand here and say thank you. Now, Father, let us in turn be good stewards of not just the money you've given us, but the giftings and the talents. Or let us be good stewards with our hands say, Father, let me be used for your kingdom. Let me be used for your kingdom. Let me be used to do what you have called us to do, what you've equipped us to do. Father, I pray that of the people that come through the door, that we'll be good stewards of those people. Out of the people that, that, that show up, Lord, let us be good stewards of what you have blessed us with. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.